So welcome to this, the first ever Strong Unsculpted podcast. I am so excited to finally do this podcast. I have waited for so long. This has been in the pipeline, honestly, for longer than you could ever imagine. And, you know, I've just, I've been suffering from kind of perfect issues. Like my team keeps saying to me, when are we recording the podcast? When are we recording the podcast? I'm like, I don't have time or I need to plan it. Or I just like had all of these things that I needed to have right in my mind in order to start it. And then I just thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I do best. I'm just going to schedule a podcast recording. I'm going to do it live. I'm going to show up at 7 p.m. and I'm just going to record the damn thing and I'm not going to worry about it. So here we are, our first ever episode of Strong and Sculpted. What you can expect in this podcast moving forward is everything to do with being strong and being sculpted. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean just gym stuff. That can also mean nutrition. It can mean training. It can mean uh, mindset. We're going to have some really incredible guests on here. You should see who we have lined up. We have some world thought leaders lined up from the field of psychology, from the field of um, bodybuilding and nutrition. We have some really unexpected people as well. Like I'm, I'm definitely not going to create like a vegan echo chamber here. So I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, let's just have all the vegans on and just promote veganism everywhere. I'm going to like bring on people who are going to shock you and you're going to be like, what on earth does she have this girl on her podcast for? Um, and you're going to be totally and utterly shocked as to the people that I'm going to bring on here. But hopefully we're going to spark a lot of thought. We're going to spark a lot of creativity and we're going to get you guys thinking and also, you know, invite loads of questions. And, and I really want this to be an interactive podcast. I mean, I'm very interactive, you know, I'm very interactive on Instagram. You'll see that we respond to every single comment. I respond to every single DM. There's no DM comes into my inbox that we don't respond to. And I love involving um, everybody, you know, in in everything that I do. So um, anyway, that's just a little bit about what we're going to be doing. So I want to I want to get going with um, answering questions because that's why I'm here. And we just thought we would do this first episode and do a QA and a and answer some of the most commonly asked questions that I get on Instagram and on Facebook and whatever. So here's the first question. It comes in from Michelle. Okay. And Michelle says, I have a lot of belly fat around my belly button. I'm lifting really heavy. How long did it take to lose your mum tum? Okay, this is such a good question. And I wanted to answer this first because it is something that I do talk about and teach a lot in my programs. So let me tell you a story quickly. Whenever I was younger, I always had a kind of a flat stomach. Like I never had like six pack abs. I'm not one of those people who naturally has six pack abs. I never have had. But whenever I was younger and I was riding horses competitively, I was very, very, very lean because I was doing so much exercise. And I just couldn't eat enough in order to keep up with the amount of exercise that I was doing. So um, I always had a really kind of good and flat. And at one point, I really did have a sculpted stomach because like I was so low in body fat. So anyway, what happened was um, I then decided to have lots of children in very quick succession. So I had um, my four kids in six years. And I, after having four kids in six years and my stomach being, you know, stretched and then shrunk and then stretched and then shrunk, I had this pocket of fat around my belly button that just wouldn't go. And I don't know whether it was, you know, it was all fat or whether it was fat and fluid or whether it was like saggy skin and fat and fluid or whatever, but it really was not nice. And um, it wasn't nice for me. And if anyone, if you go through my Instagram, you will see I've put up pictures on Instagram of before and after pictures of what my stomach looked like after my, my you know, my fourth child. Because a lot of people say to me, 
oh, well, you probably didn't have a stomach. You know, you probably were always really lean. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, really wasn't. Swear to God, had to work hard for this. But it is one of the questions that I get a lot. And it is something that women especially really struggle with. So how do you get rid of your mum tum? Okay, well, I'm afraid that the answer is extremely simple, but it's not easy. And, you know, disclaimer here, I'm sure there's many ways of getting rid of a mum tum. Um, if that's something that you want to do for yourself, many women are like, well, I'm happy with my tummy. Well, great. You rock on with your bad self. This isn't for you then. <laughs> if you're happy, then that's perfect. You know, I'm happy for you. But many women are not happy with it. And so I think that um, there are many, many different ways to do it. But all I can teach you is the way that I did it because I now I'm 40 years of age with four kids and I have a very lean and sculpted stomach. So how did it happen? Well, I spent years trying to get rid of my stomach and that's that's the bottom line and I truly believe that the only way to really get get rid of my stomach was to get leaner and leaner and leaner. Now, I was very skinny at the time in my legs and I was skinny in my upper body and I literally had bones across my chest. Like it was it was shocking. Every time I went on a starvation diet, which I did fairly regularly, I seemed to lose more weight from my chest, more weight from my legs, more weight from like the bottom of my butt. So I had this like like little saggy kind of butt, but it just wouldn't shift off my stomach. And I was like, I'm only eating 1200 calories a day and I'm teaching 14 hours of yoga a week. And I was running about 30 miles a week. And I was like, why in God's name will this thing not shift? Like it drove me insane because I am a very... Um, intelligent person, I would say. And I like I like to figure things out. I'm very driven to figure things out whenever they're not working for me. So I was. it really, really bothered me. More than the stomach probably bothered me. It bothered me that I couldn't figure the bloody thing out. I couldn't figure out how to get rid of it, right? So anyway, I decided that, you know, I, I don't even know whether I decided I would just give up on trying to have a sculpted stomach or whether I just kind of, <laughs> I just put my focus elsewhere. But what happened was I walked past the mirror in my yoga room and loads of you have heard this story before if you follow me, but this is my office that I'm in now recording this podcast. And um, but this used to be my yoga room and I used to have three big mirrors on the wall behind me, okay? And I walked in here one day wearing only a thong and, a, and like a, a sports bra to get something out of one of the drawers. And of course, the sun was streaming in through the window and it was shining in on my butt, right? And as you do when you are 37, I was at the time, and it's coming into bikini season and the sun is streaming in through the window and shining on your butt. What, what you do, any self-respecting 37-year-old, is she turns around and she examines her butt in the mirror. And so that's exactly what I did. I turned around and I was like, okay, gotta see just how bad this is because bikini season is just around the corner. And I looked at it and I just had this moment where I was like, <gasps> like horrified at what I saw because my butt had always been kind of small and kind of, I was always toned in the glute medius area, which is like the top of your butt. I was always quite toned there, but I certainly didn't have any fullness to it. But it wasn't, you know, I, I never, ever liked my butt. I have one butt cheek that's saggier than the other, right? And the other, and I have this line underneath it and it drives me insane. My left butt cheek is like my saggy butt cheek. I really hate it. And so I couldn't get rid of that. But it, I'd never really hated it before. But as the light shone in on it this day, and I looked at my ass in the mirror, it had started to take on that kind of crappy effect. You know that crappy effect of any, any woman here over the age of 35 will have started to see it on her thighs and her butt and stuff. So it had started to take on this crappy effect. And as I looked at in the mirror, I had this epiphany moment. You ever have these epiphany moments where you're like, oh my God, and you suddenly see the light and you you have like a realization about something. And as I looked at my butt in the mirror, I thought, I cannot eat any less. 
I was only eating maybe 1,200 calories a day. I was absolutely terrified of carbs. Like I never ate carbs. All my carbs came from, you know, um, zucchini or courgette or like green cruciferous vegetables. Like, I, like literally a white starchy carb never passed my lip. I was so strict with my diet, right? And so I was already eating very, very low calories. I was terrified of eating carbs. I, you know, avoided any kind of sugar or, you know, I never ate dessert and I was you know, running about 30 miles a week. I was teaching 14 hours of yoga a week where I was doing the yoga practice and I had this realization, I can't eat any less. I can't exercise any more. I can't do any more than I'm doing right now. So the only thing that I have to do is change. Something that I'm doing isn't working. And I looked at my butt that day and I realized that the only way to change it was to fill it up with muscle. I was like, if I fill up this butt with muscle, it's going to stretch out those wrinkles because if I don't do anything, those wrinkles are going to get worse. And I'm going to have one of those sad, you know, old wrinkly butts that you see on like 90-year-old women. You know, I'm going to have one of those and it's and it's going to be terrible. So I decided that I would fill it up with muscle and I realized that I could either, you know, my dad always says, there's no wrinkles on a balloon, you know, and it's true. There's no wrinkles on a balloon. And also my husband always says, there comes a time in a woman's life where she has to choose between her butt and her face. And what he basically means is, that you can either, you know, be fatter, you know, have like a bigger butt and you have no wrinkles because, you know, you obviously fat in your face if you've got fat in your butt. Or you can have no fat in your butt, but you'll also have no fat in your face and you'll have loads of wrinkles. See these wrinkles here? Yeah, that's I have loads of wrinkles because I have no fat in my face. So anyway, I digress. Um, so I, just, I realized that day I had this epiphany moment that the only way that I could change my body shape was to fill it up with muscle. And I downloaded a program that day from the internet and I started in the gym. So I was very focused. I wasn't focused on my stomach anymore. My stomach was the thing that I hated for all of those years. But isn't it amazing how when you stop focusing on something and you start focusing on something else that everything changes? So I had this moment where I, real, I, I, I started training in the gym. I had this epiphany moment. I was training and training and training and training and my body started to transform. My body started to transform before my very eyes. My shoulders started to get you know, wider. My waist started to get smaller. Uh, my butt started to get bigger. I started to get good muscles in my legs. And miraculously, the fat on my stomach started to reduce. I wasn't doing one single crunch. I wasn't, because you can't spot reduced body fat, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. Wasn't doing one single crunch. Wasn't doing anything specific for my stomach. Nothing. But yet my stomach was getting flatter and flatter and flatter and flatter. And I was like, huh, okay, how is this so? So of course, you know, me being the total geek that I am about everything to do with the body and nutrition and everything, I, I went very deep in with the bodybuilding, you know, and I went into the whole metabolism and about muscle and I got really deep into my training. And that's when I started to train for a bodybuilding competition. So as I was developing my own body for a bodybuilding competition, I developed the Sculpted Vegan program. So the first ever 12-month Sculpted Vegan program was actually my own personal journey to the stage in that first year. It was everything I learned, everything I did, and it was everything that got me there. And so as I started to build more muscle, I just noticed that everywhere over my body, all the body fat started to reduce. So I wasn't eating an, in, in a calorie surplus. I was eating I was eating at, probably at my TDEE. So your TDEE is your total daily energy expenditure, okay? It's your basal metabolic rate. Um, in addition to whatever um, calories you burn during the day just by staying alive, okay? So that is what your TDEE is. And a lot of people say to me, you know, how do I burn body fat or how do I reduce fat? And I say, well, you have to eat 
um, either below your TDEE or you have to do cardio, which pushes you into a calorie deficit. So a lot of people have heard about a calorie deficit and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I've heard of a calorie deficit, but I don't really know what it is or what or what to do with it. So a calorie deficit is basically whenever you eat, you, you know what your TDEE is, you know what your total daily energy expenditure is, your basal metabolic rate plus whatever calories you burn during the day, that's your TDEE. If you either eat below that or you exercise to burn off more calories, which pushes you below that again, that's what's called a calorie deficit. And that's where your body burns body fat. So by training hard in the gym and by doing a huge amount of exercise, which I was doing, and burning loads of body fat, as well as building muscle in my body, my, my shape just naturally started to change. However, my stomach didn't actually completely sculpt down to six pack abs until I shredded for competition. And actually, it didn't even completely sculpt until the second year of my training. My goal with my training whenever I stood on stage was always to have veins on my abs. I remember my trainer saying to me years ago, you know, oh, wait till you have veins in your abs, you'll know you, you, you'll really know you've made it. And of course, then from then on, that was my goal, veins in my abs, veins in my abs. And, you know, I had the, the second year I stepped on stage, I actually had veins like running in rivers the whole way across my abs. It was unbelievable. So, um, it, but so the only way to really reduce belly fat is to work on increasing the amount of muscle that you have in your body, which is ultimately going to increase your metabolism, which is going to, um, you know, make your body like, you know, but I'll tell you why it, it, it increases your metabolism because muscle is very calorie hungry because it requires a constant supply of nutrients from your body in order to keep it alive. Fat isn't live tissue except actually fat around your belly and your internal organs, which actually is live tissue, which is really bad. Um, but we'll talk about that in another episode. But fat is not live tissue, but muscle is live tissue. So it requires, requires a constant supply of blood and nutrients in order to keep it alive and keep it functioning efficiently, which is why it's very calorie hungry. So the more muscle you have in your body, the more nutrients and the more calories your body will require in order to keep that muscle. So you have to work on building a lot of muscle um, and strength through strength training and also pushing yourself into a calorie deficit through doing lots of cardio in order to reduce belly fat. You can't do it any other way. If you just focus on reducing belly fat, at some point your metabolism is going to slow and your body is going to enter starvation mode. So uh, this it drives me insane when I see women doing this and they're like, you know, and they get really good results in the beginning. That doesn't drive me insane. That's a terrible thing to say, but it pains me, I suppose, you know, whenever I see women starving themselves and doing millions and millions of cardio and literally, you know, working themselves into the ground and they just can't get, they just can't reach their goal. But what they don't realize is the holy grail of of getting the body that you want does not lie in starving yourself in excessive cardio. It lies in strength training. It lies in riding that balance of nutrition and training and cardio in order to achieve amazing results. I mean, you never see a bodybuilder standing on stage with a mum tum. You just don't because bodybuilders know that in order to completely get rid of your mum tum or your that belly fat around your belly button, you need to first increase your metabolism through strength training and then you need to eat in a slight calorie deficit um, or push yourself into a calorie deficit doing cardio and that is what will finally get rid of it. You cannot diet your way to, to a perfect body. Of course, you can diet and diet and diet and become completely emaciated, but you're not actually going to look very good in my opinion. You're not going to be skinny fat because you're going to have very, very little muscle in your body and you're 
you're going to, you know, your body composition is going to be mostly, you know, water and bone and tissue and, and fat. And you're not going to have very much muscle because your body doesn't want to hold on to muscle. So if you try and diet away your muscle without strength training and building it up, your body, whenever it starts to reach starvation mode and your metabolism stalls, what your body will do is it will hold on to the body fat because it thinks it needs it for a future perceived shortage because body fat is a source of energy and muscle is not. So your body will actually drop muscle tissue. It will break it down into amino acids for energy. And you, as you go into more and more and more into starvation, your body will lose more and more and more muscle. So this is what conventional diets um, don't tell you. And this is why conventional diets don't work. They actually work against you because what they do is they the body breaks down muscle tissue for energy and it holds on to fat store. And that conversely is why whenever you start to eat normally again, after you've you know gone into a, an excessive calorie um, deprivation or whenever you've you know really gone hard and dropped your calories and done loads of cardio, your body goes crazy into fat storage mode because it thinks it needs the fat to get through this energy. It doesn't know that you want to look spectacular. It doesn't know that you're going to stop whenever you get to, you know, a certain percentage of body goal. It doesn't know that you want to look like, you know, some incredible fitness model on Instagram. All your body thinks is, ah, she's starving us. Like, stop. And so, you know, it just starts to get rid of anything it doesn't think it needs and it holds on to everything it thinks it needs, which unfortunately is body fat. So of course, then as soon as you start to eat normally again, your body just takes everything and stores it as fat because it knows at some point in the future, you're going to starve it again. So yo-yo dieting is so bad for the metabolism. The only way to really completely heal the metabolism, and I get a lot of questions about this too, is to actually a lot of people who've been on starvation diets, they have to actually work on increasing their metabolism by eating more. Quite often they have to kind of reverse in order to, you know, they have to go backwards in order to go forward. So they have to eat more, put on a little bit more body fat, heal their metabolism. And then as they build muscle moving forward, they can drop their calories again slightly, do more cardio, and then they can reduce belly fat. So there really is no easy answer to reducing belly fat, unfortunately. I can't you know, say to you, oh yeah, it's really simple, just do this. But well, it is actually really simple. You need to strength train first and foremost in order to increase your muscle. You need to um, eat just slightly in a deficit of your TDEE so that you're losing maybe one a week over time, but you don't want to eat so little that your body won't build muscle. And then you need to do cardio on top of that. There's three things that raise the metabolism, okay? Well, there's many more, but there are three things, three main things that raise metabolism. The first one is um, more exercise. Second one is more muscle. And the third one is more food. So if you have more exercise, more muscle, and more food, you're going to raise your metabolism. Unfortunately, what most people do is they try and cut out all of these things. And that just ends up putting their metabolism in the toilet. So it's one of the things I'm very passionate about teaching because it was one of my main things that I overcame, but I didn't truly get a lean and sculpted stomach until I had um, increased my muscle over uh, over about a year. It took me a good year to, to strength train and to really work on increasing my muscle mass all over my body. And then once I had increased the muscle mass all over my body, I was able to do a shred. My first shred was only 14 weeks. I did a big shred and I and I reduced down and then I, I went into another maintenance phase where I built again for an, another 12 months or about 10 months it was. And then I did a 14 week shred, which was, you know, quite a lot of cardio, you know, a, a gradual drop in calories. And that's when I had veins running all over my stomach. But here's the beautiful thing, right? See, once you get your stomach to that point, 
See, whenever you get your stomach to the point where it's flat and it's, you know, and you're happy with it, it's very, very easy to maintain. The first time you shred after a period of building muscle is always the hardest. But you're, it's almost like having children, you know, your body has muscle memory. Once you've popped out one, you can pop out two, three, four, five, and it gets easier every time because your body's like, oh yeah, we, we've done this before. We know what we're doing. So every shred that you do, it's easier because you have more muscle because you've obviously been training throughout the year. So your metabolism is higher. So your body drops fat quicker. Um, and every shred that you do becomes easier and easier and easier as you get more and more experience. But it really does take that period of building muscle and then a period of dieting with a goal in order to lose that belly fat. The problem with most women is that they don't have a goal. Most women are on a permanent diet, right? So they are permanently on a diet and they stay on a diet forever. And they just think that if they permanently diet one day, miraculously, they might wake up and look in the mirror and have a flat stomach. And it doesn't happen that way. You need to set a goal and then you need to set a timeline. You need to say, I'm going to shred for 14 weeks. And in those 14 weeks or 16 weeks or 24 weeks or whatever it is, my last shred was 24 weeks. It was six months long. So yeah, but in that 24 weeks, I was like, I'm going to drop, you know, half a pound of body fat per week. And I am going to eat X amount of calories and then drop them. And I'm going to do X amount of cardio and then increase it gradually. So I had a plan. So then I could kind of monitor my progress and I, I could say, okay, here's my plan. Is my progress, you know, moving me in the direction of my goal? Uh, is my plan working or is it not? And then I could make tweaks accordingly. That whenever you don't have a plan or an end goal, you don't know how to make tweaks in order to get there. And that is what is really important for shredding belly fat and really sculpting a gorgeous pair of abs. So really, really, really good question, Michelle. Absolutely love it. Um, okay, so let's see what um, other questions we have coming up, coming up, coming up. Okay, so there, God, there's so many good ones. Um, ta, ta, ta. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, I love this one from Anita, okay? So this is a really good one. It's one I get asked all the time. And Anita says, can you still get, and I love this word, extraordinary results from, from using your programs at home versus going to the gym? Okay, this is something I get really passionate about, okay? And I'm going to have a little bit of a rant here. And you may not agree with what I'm going to say, and that's totally okay. Because you know me, I just like to say what's on my mind, say what I have experience in, say what is my opinion. If you're like, I do not agree with her, and I, I don't believe what she's saying, then just move on. It's no problem at all. Move on. Really doesn't bother me at all. This is just my opinion, but this is what I believe. Okay, you ready? I'm going to hit you with it. You ready? You cannot build a physique athlete's body at home using light dumbbells, bodyweight exercises, and resistance bands. You can't. You just can't. There is no physique athlete stroke bodybuilder standing on stage getting ex extraordinary results using those methods. They are in the gym using weight. I get this all the time. And people say, why don't you provide a home workout in your program? And I say, because I don't train at home and I've never trained at home and I never, ever, ever, ever intend to train at home. So, you know, to for me to provide a home program would be completely disingenuine because I have never tested a home program. I wouldn't even know that one worked. And frankly, I don't believe in them, okay? So 
it depends on what you mean, Anita, when you say, you know, using your programs at home. So let me just break this down a little bit further. If you have equipment at home, then you can get really, really good results. Now, what I mean by equipment is not like one set of dumbbells and a couple of resistance bands and a kettlebell, right? That's not equipment. If you want to build a home gym, you need to have barbells, you need to have a squat rack, you need to have plates, dumbbells, perhaps a yoga mat for stretching, you know, you a pulley system would be an absolute bonus. Um, you know, home leg presses, I'm really not, you know, they're usually those flat ones that have no angle in them. So I'm not a big fan of a home leg press. But you know what, if it was all you had, and you really couldn't get to the gym, that's no problem at all. A lot of women join my 18 month sculpt and shred program, and they go to the gym for leg day. So they train at home, and then they go to the gym for leg day, because really, you just need someone to spot you, you need big heavy weights, you need big heavy compound machines in order to build a decent pair of legs. So can you get extraordinary results? results from using my programs at home, if you're willing to invest in gym equipment, and it's very easy to substitute, actually, it's very, very easy to substitute. A lot of people say to me, oh, but you know, I don't have a leg press. And I'm like, just Google home alternative exercise for and then put in leg press or, you know, incline hack squat or pendulum squat or, or whatever it is that you don't have the equipment for. Just Google a home exercise alternative. And as long as you're working the same muscle groups, then you're, you're totally quits in. Because if you think about it, a leg press works kind of the same muscle groups as a squat, a free bar squat, except that a free bar squat, you know, is usually a bit more glute and quad dominant. And usually on a leg press, it's a bit more glute dominant. But, you know, you can squat with your feet touching. So if you actually put your feet touching in, in the center in a squat with a free bar, you will work very, very strongly into the quads. The closer your feet are together in a free bar squat, the more it works into the quads. The wider your feet are apart, like in a sumo squat, the more it works into the glutes. So you can play around with your feet position and you can get really good results at home, but you need big ass heavy plates and you need, you know, big ass heavy dumbbells and you need to be able to Stack the weight on as you get stronger and stronger and stronger. If you don't keep progressively overloading the muscles, they're not going to grow, right? Your muscles are not going to grow if you don't progressively overload them. What is progressive overload? It is where you keep adding more demands onto the muscle in order to tear down more muscle fibers in order to make them grow. The, the three main forms that I teach at Progressive Overload, there are others, of course, like pause squats and that kind of stuff. But the three main ones that I teach are more load, okay? Load is king. That's the first one. Second one is... Um, more volume, but I'm not a big fan of more volume. And the third one is less rest. So how I work these three in the gym is I will, first of all, um, always add more load, okay? Now you can keep adding more load in leg day. It's very easy to add more load in leg day, but it's harder whenever you plateau, especially as a woman, on something like a, like a bench press or a shoulder press or, you know, a tricep press down, something which has, you know, it's a smaller muscle group or even, you know, w women don't have big chest muscles. You know, whenever I started, um, in the gym three years ago, I was bench pressing my top weight about 30 kilos. Now I'm bench pressing my top weight is about, oh, if I had a spotter, probably 60 kilos for maybe five reps. But if I'm on my own, it's 50 kilos. So I can do a good eight to 10 reps, 50 kilos on my own without a spotter on a free bench press, right? It's taken me three years to get there. Whereas whenever I started squatting um, years ago, I was squatting with like 40 kilos was my top rep rep, sorry, my top weight. And now my top weight in a free bar squat is 130 kilos. But like if I do a V bar squat, or if I do an incline hack squat, like I'm doing 180 kilo uh, v, v bar squats today or V squats, sorry, and I'm doing 190 kilo 
incline hack squats, right? So those are two machines. So like I, my weights have gone from 40 kilos to 190 kilos. So it, like it's incomparable, but my chest has only increased in 30 kilos because it's a much smaller muscle group and women just don't have big, you know, big chests and big triceps and those things that, you know, are needed to push that amount of weight. So in order to really progress, you need to progressively overload the muscle, right? Weight is the first way you progressively overload it. Load is king. A lot of people will say, well, you can do lots of volume, you know, you can do like loads and loads of reps and that'll progressively overload. Well, here's here's my here's my my jam about, you know, putting in loads of reps, okay? Now, I do teach extra reps as a way of progressively overloading the muscle. So, what I say is when you're at your top weight, right, you can't add any more weight, what you should do is try to add more reps. But you should never sacrifice weight for reps. What do I mean by this? Well, if you are, say your top um, your top bench press, let's just use bench press, your top bench press weight is, is 50 kilos, right? But you've decided you don't really want to do 50 kilos anymore. You're going to drop back to 30 kilos, but you're going to do 20 reps. You're going to do three sets of 20 reps, right? There comes a point where, you know, will you get progressively, will you progressively overload the muscle if you do that? Yeah, you'll probably feel that you're sore. You're like, oh yeah, it's really working. I'm really sore for a few days. I think it's great. But there'll there'll come a point where you'll stop being sore doing, you know, 20 reps of, you know, at 30 kilos. So what do you do? Do you go to 25 reps? You know, yeah, okay, an extra five reps, that's fine. And then maybe 30. And then like, is 35 better than 30? Is 40 better than 30? What about 50? Would you be doing 50 reps? What about 100? Like surely if, if, you know, if volume is the way to progressively overload the muscle, at what point do you stop? 200 reps? Is 200 reps better than 100 reps? Is better than 20 reps? You know, you're never going to stop adding weight, right? You're never going, you, you know, you would never get to a point where you would say, oh, well, that's just too much weight. Like maybe if you're squatting like 400 kilos or something like Ronnie Coleman years ago, but and that, that's going to wreck your knees if you're doing that consistently. But at some point, you know, you're going to progressively overload with the weight, uh, but you're never going to, you know, you're, you're never going to plateau, like you're never going to get to 400 kilos, hopefully, unless you're Ronnie Coleman or some like freak of nature. But you know what I'm saying? Like, at, at what point do you stop adding reps if that's the best way to progressively overload the muscle? So I always work on increasing the load first and then adding some more reps. And then once you've added the max amount of load and the max amount of reps that you can do, then I will shorten the rest periods. So then I will say, well, rather than having a two minute or a three minute rest between say, you know, compound squat sets, I'll reduce it down to, you know, one and a half minutes or something. You may not be able to push out as many reps as you did before. That's fine. But you are, you know, placing more demands on the muscle and your muscles will grow. So you always want to be progressing in the gym. You always want to be progressing. And the, and the the best way to progress is with more weights. So that's why, you know, I've digressed a little bit, you know, on this, but I, you know, I don't believe like whenever you're doing body weight exercises at home or weights with resist or resistance bands or whatever, or say you've only got dumbbells that, you know, go up to say 20 kilo dumbbells, right? At some point with exercises such as, you know, a dumbbell row or a, or a shoulder press or something, you're probably going to get stronger than 20 kilos, right? So what do you do then? you know, do you keep adding in more reps? And, and if so, where do you stop? So you have to have enough weight in order to, you know, keep adding. And if you're just doing press ups, like maybe in the beginning, you don't, you can only do five press ups, but then maybe you get strong enough to do like 10 and then 20 and then 30 and then 40. And then maybe like my dad and my dad used to get on the bathroom floor every morning. And we used to come in and mind him doing like, he used to do a hundred press ups every morning. 
But at what point then, you know, but your muscle will stop growing at some point because your muscle will grow enough muscle in order to do 100 press-ups. And if you never ask it to do any more than 100 press-ups, your body will go, well, we ain't building any more muscle. Like your body doesn't want any more muscle than it has to have. Your body's not going to go, ah, sure. You know, she's working really hard. We're, we'll give her like an extra, we'll give her an extra pound of muscle here, you know, um, just to, to enable her to lift a wee bit heavier, just to reward her for working hard. No, 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 no. Your body goes, oh, okay. You're squatting 100 kilos consistently. Okay. We will build enough muscle to be able to allow you to cope with that demand. If you drop back and you stop squatting 100 kilos, you know what your body does? Oh, great. We don't need 100 kilos worth of muscle anymore. We're going to drop back to the 90 kilos. Your body will break down the muscle tissue and get rid of it. It doesn't want to have any more muscle tissue than it needs because muscle is very calorie hungry and your body has to feed it. And your body's main goal is to keep you alive. Your body doesn't give a shit what you look like. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you have sculpted booty and melon crusher thighs and, you know, an ass cheeks you could crack a nut with. It, it just wants to keep you alive and keep you healthy. And that's all your body cares about. So, you know, your body will drop muscle at any possible chance that it can. And it's very, 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 very hard to build it. So you never want to let it go if you can. And you're not going to get good results at home using resistance bands and, you know, body weight exercises. In my personal opinion, can you change your body shape? Like, can you go from being overweight, you know, and, you know, and unfit and, and do all those things to get you fitter and, and leaner? But I, I know there's probably people listening to this and going, you know, oh, but that's not true because I got really good. I did like a home program and I got really, really good results. And I'm like, yes, a hundred percent. Someone who has never trained before and that's their only option. That's all they have. If they start doing that at home, will they start to change their body shape? A hundred percent. Are you going to get extraordinary results? Are you going to sculpt a physique athlete's body doing that? No, you're not. You're never going to make it to the stage doing that. Something is going to have to give. And I, like, even if you don't want to make it to the stage, that's fine. You may just want to like have a shit hot body. And if you do, you're going to have, unfortunately, to get to a gym or buy yourself some equipment at home and all will be well. Okay. Really, really, really good question. Love that. Ta ta ta. Okay. Um, uh, 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 loads of good questions here. Um, okay. This is a really good one. Okay. So this is from Kiara Louise Hassan, right? So Kiara wants to know about managing diet and fat gain during off season, like not getting too fat, but still building muscle. Okay. So this is something that I am very passionate about. Okay. Because let me tell you something. There are a lot of fat bodybuilders out there. Like there are, there's a lot of fat bodybuilders out there. I'm just going to say it. There's, there's bodybuilders who in off season just let themselves get really, really, really fat. And you see them like with big, massive bags of like Haribo and they're like, yeah, eating for the gains, eating for the gains. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're just wrecking your liver and like your digestive system and giving yourself an overload of fructose, which all the bad bacteria in your colon is going to feed on. And that's why you have IBS and that's why you have, um, you know, leaky gut and that's why you have all of these, you know, chronic problems with constipation because you're putting a lot of shit into your body, okay? If you put a lot of crap into your body, you're not going to get the gains. You're just going to, well, you might get the gains, but you're also going to get all of the side effects that come from putting a lot of crap into your body. So I don't believe that it's necessary to get fat 
in off-season, okay? I am in off-season now, so I am in muscle-building season. I'm not going to compete again, so I'm not doing, you know, like a big bulk or anything, but I still have veins running down the side of my head, and I only have veins on my temple whenever I'm extremely lean, right? That's the only time I ever have them. I also have, you know, mini striations in my delts. I still have abs. Like, I'm still lean. I'm about between 15 and 17% body fat at the minute, okay? I managed to maintain that, and I managed to still build muscle through doing a couple of um, quite simple things, right? So the first one is I tend, I always, always, always schedule my nutrients around my training. So I eat the the bulk of my carbs and the bulk of my, um, the, the food, my calorific food around my training. A lot of people will say to me, oh, I always train fasted, you know, so I can burn fat. And I'm like, you never strength train fasted. You can do cardio fasted if you want, but there's no real benefit to doing cardio fasted or doing cardio not fasted, by the way. The most important thing is that you do your cardio. It doesn't matter if it's fat or fasted or hit or, or slow steady or, you know, on a bike or on a rowing machine or outside walking. The most important thing is that you do your cardio, right? But with strength training, you never, ever, ever want to strength train fasted because if you strength train fasted, you will have no glycogen in your muscles to fuel your lifts. If you're going to be lifting heavy in the gym, your body is going to be burning muscle glycogen from the muscles, right? Whenever your body is burning muscle glycogen from the muscles, then you need to pump those muscles up with glycogen first so that your body can have as much energy as it needs in order to fuel really heavy lifts. People say to me all the time, you know, oh, I went to the gym today and I was so much weaker and I just, you know, I just couldn't, you know, lift, you know, my heavy weights. And I always ask them questions like, well, were you going to the gym at your normal time that you go? Like it wasn't like if I go at nine o'clock at night, I am tired, right? I've worked the whole day. I cannot lift as heavy as I can at nine o'clock in the morning. And they're often like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was like out of my routine. And I'll say, you know, what did you eat before you went to the gym? Well, you know, I had lunch at 12 o'clock and, and I trained at five or I trained at six. You know, I didn't have, you know, I wanted to eat my dinner afterwards. I didn't have a chance to eat before I went. And if you don't, if you, you know, if you don't eat for five hours before you go to the gym, well, your muscles are not going to have enough fuel in order to lift the big weights. And if you don't lift the big weights, you're not going to tear down the muscle fibers that you need in order to build muscle, which means that you're going to be like doing yourself out of gains. And you never want to go to the gym and do yourself out of gains. It's absolutely ridiculous. So if you eat before you train and you eat a fast acting carbohydrate that gets pumped directly into the muscles, you're giving yourself the best possible chance to lift big, heavy weights, tear down those muscles, muscle fibers and make really good gains. Now, what is really important as well is after you have trained, the the most important window after you've trained is the 30 minutes after you've trained. 30 to 60 minutes, but 30 minutes is really the special window that you want to um you want to maximize. So, why is this? Well, your body has things called GLUT4 receptors, okay? Your cells have GLUT4 receptors on the surface of the cell and GLUT4 receptors are very responsive to um insulin, okay? So insulin is um, a storage hormone that your body releases after you eat. So whenever food hits your stomach, your pancreas secrete insulin and insulin is then released into the blood in a flood because it wants to take all of the sugar out of the blood and store that sugar, right? Now, another thing that opens the GLUT4 receptors on the surface of the muscle cell in order to receive nutrients is training. So whenever you are training in the gym, 
your body wants to feed your muscles that are under demand with muscle glycogen. So as the muscle glycogen is burnt out, as you lift the weights, your body wants to replenish that muscle glycogen. So your body while you're training is is sending energy from whatever you have stored, right? Or whatever was readily available from eating, or it'll be breaking down fat cells into triglycerides, transporting that through the blood and into the muscles for energy, okay? So your body is constantly feeding your muscles while you're training. So because this is happening while you're training, your GLUT4 receptors are open on the surface of the muscle cell. So if you eat after training and you eat a really fast-acting carb, what I recommend is a carb called Vitargo. It's a patented formula used by athletes all over the world. Vitargo is a high molecular weight carbohydrate, which has very high osmolality, which is absorbed through the intestinal wall, through the wall of the small intestine, into the bloodstream extremely fast. And so it's released in a flood into the bloodstream. And if you eat a fast-acting, high glycemic index carb, immediately after training, the GLUT4 receptors on the surface of the muscle cell are already open, okay? But it takes a little longer for the GLUT4s to open on the surface of the fat cell because they had no need to be open. So whenever you eat a fast-acting carb directly after training, insulin is released very quickly into the bloodstream and insulin wants to store those carbs as quickly as possible. It wants to get them out of your bloodstream. So what it does is it takes all the carbs and it dumps them wherever it can. Guess what, right? The, the glute fours on the surface of the muscle cell are open already. Ding, 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 ding. It's like, woohoo, we're ready and open to receive. And the, the ones on the surface of the fat cell are a little slower. So guess where most of the carbs go in the 30-minute window after training? You guessed it, into the muscles. What happens when the carbs go into the muscles? More growth, more energy, better recovery. If you give your, your muscles protein and a high and a fast acting carb directly after training, you are going to get much, much, much better repair and you're not going to be as sore. When people join my 18 month sculpt and shred program, the first thing that they say after they taking after they start taking Vitargo is how fast the recovery is. They are they don't suffer DOMS the same way that they used to. They they're not as fatigued as they used to, especially people who are runners who join, you know, and, and we always recommend that they take Vitargo when they're running. They, they cannot believe how fast their recovery is. That's what Vitargo was actually uh, designed for. It was designed for athletes. So that is um, the really important window. So I generally tend to steer away from carbs, from, from high glycemic index carbs or white starchy carbs for the whole rest of the day. The only time that I pack carbs into my diet is directly before training and directly after training. Now, I train in the morning. So what I do is I don't eat breakfast. Um, well, I do eat breakfast, but I don't like eat breakfast. I make a protein shake with, with uh, two scoops of protein. The protein that I use is from the Protein Works here in the UK. And I use uh, two scoops of that, which is 50 grams of protein. And I put a, if on leg day, I will put in two scoops of Vitargo. And on upper body day, I put in one scoop of Vitargo. So what I do is I, I drink about two thirds of that protein on the way to the gym, because that's how quickly the Vitargo is absorbed into the bloodstream. And I train and then I drink the rest of it after I've trained. Now, it doesn't really matter if you drink it before you train or after you train or during you train or a combination of both. A lot of the science has shown that it really doesn't matter when your body gets the carbs. It's more that, you know, and the protein, it's, it's just important that it gets them in and around the training window. So it doesn't really matter if it's before, during, or after, but you want to get it in around that training window. 
So that ensures that my leptin levels stay high. So leptin is the hormone in your body that controls your metabolism. If your leptin levels fall too low, that's when uh, female athletes lose their period. It's not because um, they've damaged their body in some way. It's that their leptin levels fall too low, which means their metabolism slows down, which means the body wants to stop the menstrual cycle because the menstrual cycle takes energy in order to keep it going. So your body will slow down anything that will require energy from the body whenever it is a very in a very slow metabolic state. So in order to keep your uh, metabolism roaring, you have to keep your leptin levels high. So uh, carbohydrates are what keep the leptin levels high. So I will always have the biggest amount of carbs and the biggest amount of food around training and the rest of the day I eat very light. So that's the first thing that I do. The second thing that I do in order to maintain an off season is I I tend to undereat during the week so I can overeat on the weekend. So what a lot of people don't realize is your calories are actually a calorie balance. Um, it doesn't matter whether you, if you overeat in one day, you can undereat the next day and you won't put on any body fat. Simply because whenever you are working out your your calories, um, your total daily calories that you should eat in order to lose weight, maintain body fat or, or put on muscle, you're most of the calculators, like the free one that we have on our website, we have a free calculator on our website. It's um, thesculptedvegan.com forward slash macro, macro hyphen calculator, but just go to the free tool free tools page on the website. We will link to all this in the show notes anyway of the um, of this. So if you just check the show notes, you'll see everything that we've talked about here in the podcast. But um, if you if you use a free macro calculator, it will ask you know how many times a week you train. Um, it'll ask what your job is, so how active you are during the day, and then it will work out your weekly calorie expenditure. What it does with that weekly calorie expenditure is it divides it into seven and it gives you a daily calorie expenditure. So if you're if you go over your calories in one day, it doesn't really matter if you cut down on your calories the next day. So say you go 500 calories over on a Monday, right? And if you cut out 250 calories on a Tuesday and 250 calories on a Wednesday, you're right back to where you should be for the week. So many people don't know this. And this is how I maintain my body in, in off season. I tend to under eat during the week. So my TDEE, my, you know, what I need to eat to maintain my body at the minute is about 2,800 calories, right? Because I have a lot of muscle, so I have a very high metabolism. So I have to eat 2,800 calories in order to maintain the body that I've got. I would generally during the week tend to eat about 2,000 calories a day, okay? Give or take. I eat a little more on leg day, which is on Tuesday, which is today. But um, I under eat by about 800 calories a day. So that leaves me with an extra 4,000 calories to consume on the weekend. And people are like, 4,000 calories? I'm like, yes. And that's 2,000 on a Saturday and 2,000 on a Sunday. Now, that may seem like a, a lot, but considering that there's 1,000 calories in a bottle of wine, now I don't drink a bottle of wine on the weekend, but there's 1,000 calories in a bottle of wine, there's like a quarter of those calories gone already. So I like on the weekend, we like to eat out. I like to, you know, have a couple of margaritas or a glass of champagne with my husband. Um, I like to eat pizza, vegan pizza. I like to have ice cream and dessert. And, you know, I just like to have that freedom. I don't, I don't count my calories ever in off season. I just eat very intuitively, but I've tracked for so long, I know how many calories I'm consuming. So I tend to undereat during the week and then overeat on the, and leave not even overeat on the weekend, but leave those calories for the weekend when I know I'm going to want to have a good time with my family and I'm going to want to indulge a little bit more. 
I also do, you know, extra cardio. So if I if I have really indulged in the weekend, I like do an extra session of cardio. I'll get on the stairmaster for an hour. I'm pointing over to my the corner of my office because that's where my stairmaster is. So I will get on there for an hour and I'll burn maybe an extra six or seven hundred calories. So I think that you know if you just keep your calorie balance in check over a seven day period, you can stay very very lean in off season. So the the two main points are to um, to schedule most of your nutrition around your training to make sure you're fueling your muscle and then you're refueling after you've trained and also to under eat slightly during the week and then that leaves you room to overeat on the weekend. The third thing that um, I always teach and I recommend is to make the bulk of your calories come from green cruciferous vegetables um, and beans and lentils. But so I will eat, I will quite often sit down to a meal which is say a lean vegan protein. So when I say a lean vegan protein, I mean something like um I eat these like soy-based chicken chunks. They're called no chicken chunks or something, you know, from a supermarket, from Marks and Spencer's and Sainsbury's here in the UK. And I will saute those with um, some sliced chilies, some coriander or cilantro in America, uh, and some turmeric and spices. And I'll saute that up with maybe just a little bit of chopped garlic. And all I will have on the side of that is maybe some steamed broccoli and a green salad, loads and loads of leaves with cucumber and celery, maybe a little bit of avocado for some good fat. And that is that is my meal. Like I don't need to add any sweet potato or rice or anything at all to it. And even whenever, you know, I have dinner at night, um, we actually have a private chef because I run a big business and I don't have time to, to cook and look, you know, for my whole family. And we homeschool our kids as well. So my kids are here every day for breakfast, lunch and dinner. So I have a full-time housekeeper and I have a full-time private chef and um, Gareth prepares all our food and whenever he cooks dinner he will cook something which in it is is kind of a whole meal and then he'll leave a carb on the side but I never have the carbs so for example last night we had this beautiful Jamaican jackfruit curry which was very rich with tomato sauce. And I think there was, lot, I don't know, lots of spices and things. And it was just beautiful uh, with jackfruit and it had chickpeas in it. And then he did um, some kind of, I think it was like a like a rice dish on the side and also a green salad, but I didn't have the rice. I piled massive amounts of green salad into my bowl and then I spooned the curry on top of it. And that was my dinner. I didn't, you know, you need to get out of the mindset of having, oh, we need to have a carb and, you know, a casserole or, or whatever it is. And then something else, you know, you're, you don't, you don't need all of those carbs. You know, you really don't need to have rice with everything. If we ever have spaghetti bolognese, I don't eat the spaghetti. I eat unless it's the weekend and then I do, but I will make like courgette or I will have lentils with mine or something. Like I'll have something, you know, or beans or like a slow carbohydrate or maybe I'll just, you know, I'll just like um, cut up loads and loads of broccoli and spinach and I'll saute it with some garlic. I'll fire it into a bowl and I'll put all the bolognese on top of it. And that is my no spaghetti bolognese. It just requires a, a shift in mindset. But if you always eat green crucifixion vegetables or beans and lentils for your carbs, then your body will not store those as fat because the energy is so releasing in them. So slow releasing. And so they're just constantly given to the body for energy and they are, um, they're not stored as fat. So what causes your body to store fat is whenever your body wants to empty the sugar from your bloodstream very, very quickly. Um, what, what makes something a high glycemic index carb is if it is stripped of its fiber. So whenever something has had the fiber stripped out of it, that's what makes it a high glycemic index carb. Um, if it's, if it, if like a white flour or something, you know, like pasta or rice, you know, that's been highly refined, the more refined something is, the more fiber has been stripped out of it. And that's what makes it a high glycemic index carb. So your body wants to, um, take all of the sugar out of your bloodstream as fast as possible. So, a high glycemic index carbohydrate will 
be broken down very fast by the small intestine. It'll be dumped into the bloodstream and your body, your body will start reduce or your pancreas will start pumping insulin into your bloodstream in order to store that sugar as quickly as possible. And what it does with it is it, it, it goes around the muscles and it sees what needs filled up and it converts some into energy for the liver and the rest it just dumps into fat store. Now, obviously during the day, if you keep your balance low, you know, if you, if you keep your carb, um, if you eat slightly below your TDE or you're exercising loads, then your body will break down that fat that was stored back into energy and feed it to the tissues. So you can always keep the balance. Like storing it as fat isn't a bad thing as long as you use up the fat as energy, okay? But where um, where we get into trouble is when we're constantly eating high glycemic index carbs, we're eating, you know, cakes and scone, scones, I don't know what you call them in America, scones maybe, um, or you're eating pasta or you're eating, you know, loads of rice and you're eating loads of these carbs. And so loads of them are getting stored as fat, but then you're not burning off enough energy to burn off that fat. That's when people get into trouble. So um, the less fiber something has, the quicker it's broken down in the digestive system and the more of it is stored as fat. So if you're if you're eating something, you know, like beans and lentils and that kind of stuff, there's a, they have a massive amount of fiber and also green cruciferous vegetables, very, very high in fiber. So they're broken down very slowly in the intestine. And also a lot of it is insoluble fiber. So insoluble fiber is fiber that is passed all the way through the digestive system into the large colon. And that's basically what makes poop, okay? Poop is basically just fiber. Fiber and bacteria. That's all it is. So the more fiber you eat, the better you poop. Um, and uh, so that that's basically how, how it's made. So the more the more fibrous carbs you eat, and people say, what about brown rice? Well, no, not really, because brown rice, yes, it does have more fiber, so it's slow, more slowly broken down, but it also is still a high glycemic index carb, and it's, it is still, you know, stored, there's still millions of energy in it, and it's still stored as fat. So you want to avoid that as much as possible, and that is how I stay lean all year round. And also, it's much healthier for you to stay lean. I think that a lot of, you know, competitive bodybuilders get very fat in off season. But you know, whenever you get fat, your liver stores fat, okay? Whenever you're eating a massive amount of fructose, then, you know, which which too many people are, like there's fructose in protein bars and there's fructose in, you know, in candies and cakes. And there's, you know, the body can only process. We The recommended amount of fructose that we should eat every day is between 16 and 24 grams, right? There's 12 grams of fructose in one handful of blueberries, 12 grams. So you are almost at your daily recommended intake of fructose with one handful of blueberries. Two handfuls of blueberries puts you at that top end of your recommended daily intake. And we as a nation are consuming between 80 to 100 grams of fructose per day. Your liver can only hold 60 grams of fructose. And that's not just coming from one meal, that's coming from everywhere. So what fructose is doing is it's wreaking havoc with our digestive systems because the bad bacteria thrive on fructose, which is why it's causing all kinds of things like leaky gut syndrome and Crohn's disease. And, and actually, it's not causing Crohn's disease, but it's an autoimmune disease, but leaky gut and IBS and um, a lot of the problems that we have in our digestive systems are just caused by an overload of fructose. And so um, whenever you let yourself get fat um, or you eat too much fructose, your liver just converts fructose to fat. That's all it does. Your liver cannot, no other cells in the body can use fructose. They, they, can't, they can't convert them into energy, right? So, and that includes fructose from fruit, okay? Fructose just basically means fruit sugar. And you're, the only body, the only organ in your body that can actually convert fructose into energy is your liver, okay? But your liver then converts all of the rest of the fructose into fat. 
that, that's what it does with it if you consume too much of it. So if you're eating 80 grams of fructose per day, you're basically just turning your body into a fat-making machine and fructose is in everything. But the worst thing about fructose is that it causes fat deposits to build up in the liver. If fatty deposits build up in the liver, your liver becomes overloaded and it can't do its job effectively. Your liver is your fat-burning organ. Your liver is what breaks down fat cells into triglycerides and transports them through the tissues through the blood cells, uh, through, sorry, through the bloodstream to the tissues for energy. That's what your liver does. If your liver is overloaded with toxins, if your liver has fat in it, a lot of fatty liver, if you're eating too much fructose, you actually have, they're, they're showing these days that there's a lot of the um, symptoms that, um, like non-alcoholic liver disease, um, It's that's what they're calling, you know, people who eat too much fructose. Now, I don't mean fructose from fruit, by the way, because your body processes it differently, although too much of it isn't a good thing for fat loss, but I mean the fructose that's coming from cakes and candies and, and you know, and, and high fructose corn syrup and all that kind of stuff, and like agave nectar and stuff, they're just all fructose. So that's what's causing a lot of problems in the body, and that's what's causing the body to, to, to store fat. So if you want to stay... Um, very lean in off season, you just need to eat whole foods. Like when I say whole foods, I mean whole beans, whole lentils, whole potatoes, like sweet potato preferably, you know, whole grains, whole, you know, proteins. You don't you, you don't want to eat stuff that's that's really um broken down. Like like I said, protein bars. I'm like, oh my God, so many people these days are eating protein bars thinking that they're healthy. They're just full of fructose and sugar and you know, there's much better ways to get your protein in my opinion. Anyway, um so that is how I manage an off-season, those three things. So just to recap, they are um, don't eat white starchy carbs. That was the last one I talked about. Stay away from white starchy carbs, except around training. The second one is, um, to, or sorry, the first one was, I can't even remember what order I said them in now. So the, virtu- the first one, eat all of your, your the main bulk of your meals around training um, so that you can take advantage of the GLUT4 receptors. The second one is to work out your energy balance over a seven-day period, under-eat during the week and overeat on the weekend, if that's the way you like to do it, or just stick to your carbs and your calories during the week or your, your calories and your macros during the week. And then the third one is to avoid fructose and only eat uh, green cruciferous vegetables and beans and lentils and avoid you know white starchy carbs if you can. So guys, um, this was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for showing up. Um, I know that I talk fast and I'm really sorry that I talk fast, um, but I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Strong and Sculpted. Um, and we're going to be here every single week in your inbox or wherever it is that you're listening to us um, putting out these episodes of Strong and Sculpted. We're going to be talking about so many different things, not just about, you know, body sculpting and bodybuilding, but we're going to be talking about, you know, oh, we have so many good guests um, lined up. And also, you know, make sure that you send in your questions to me as well. Um, it's podcast at thesculptedvegan.com. Send in your questions because we are going to be answering questions and doing these live Q&As uh, regularly. And I really want to hear from you guys. And also, um, I would love it if you leave a review. If you enjoyed this podcast leave us a review because i want to give you a shout out i'm going to reading out reviews every week and giving people shout outs who leave reviews um because that's just a really awesome way of you know telling me what you like and if you enjoyed the content and also of getting a little mention on the strong and sculpted podcast so listen guys thank you so much you've been absolutely awesome i really appreciate you sending in all your questions and i will catch you all next week okay bye for now